Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Thanks, Mitch. (laughs) Sir, thank you. Okay. Good morning. That there? That there? Did everybody get a little cup of communion on the way in? If, If you didn't, put up your hand. We have people that are ready to hand them out. We got one over there. One, two, three, four, a few over here. One in the middle, okay. Thank you, thank you. Um, I don't know, someone up front, okay, cool. Keep your hands up until you get one, right there. Hi online, welcome here. Um, when it comes to liturgical things, um, I did not grow, well, I, I grow up what I would consider very liturgically. I didn't grow up Catholic, I grew up small-town Pentecostal, which I think just means you have a different kind of liturgy, but uh, liturgically nonetheless. What we're going to be speaking out today is we're going to finish off our last, I think it's our last one, on what is truth, on some of the basic tenets of faith. And what we're going to talk about today is in this, we're going to talk about the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism by full immersion in water for all believers. Okay, when it comes to liturgical things, if Maybe you came in and you thought, no, I, I, don't, I don't need one or it's all good. I walked in, my friend and I, when I was in my late teens, for some reason he, he just said, let's just go to a, a, a Christmas mass. I was like, sounds interesting, okay. And we walked in and it's Christmas mass and they're handing out candles. And I just said, no, no thank you, I'm not a Catholic. I, I don't need your candles. I'm just here for the show. I didn't say that, but it's in my head. That's what I'm saying to myself. I'm just here to observe. And then you go in, and it's like, oh, it's quite a back and forth between, between the priest and the congregants. And here and there, I just respond, with, when I watch everyone else respond, sit and stand. Cool. And then all the lights go out. And, and all of a sudden, they're like what we do at Christmas. There's a light in the aisle that is lit by one person's candle, and you see this flame coming towards you by different people lighting their candles coming towards you, and I don't have a candle. I was like, oh, it's not because you're Catholic, it's because it's dark. <laughs> it's like, I read a lot into that. But uh, I, there's a lot of symbolism in it. So I'm just like, as it's coming by, I'm just like, thumbs up, keep it going, pass, pass it along. But uh, I, I just welcome everyone here. I hope y'all, everyone got a communion element, no matter where you are with Christ, no matter where you are with the church, you're welcome here today. Yes. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, we thank you so much for your deliverance and your love. Your, your love is unfailing. And we pray that again this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask you to show us how unfailing your love is to us, to each one of us here. We ask you to tear down the things that would deny the love of Christ in our hearts. 
that the, the experience that we've had that have, we've taken away that you are not good, we just tear those things right down now in the name of Jesus. And we say over all these things, your love overshadows every bad moment, every bad experience, every lie, because you are love. You say that. You are love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a privilege for me to be here. Oh, my, my name is Tim. And uh, hey, hey. And uh, hi. Um, I'm, I'm on staff here at the church, and it's, it's just, a, again, it is a huge privilege to be able to, to speak with you today and to just see what God is going to do. So I just ask you just, you know, whisper to yourself, like, Holy Spirit, speak to me as we're talking here. I titled this, We Have a Deep Need and a High Calling. God sees us, and he knows that we have a deep need and a high calling. And I woke up last night with a story that sort of encapsulates a lot of this, and it's, it's from the Old Testament. It's actually from the book of Exodus. It's actually the first 12 chapters of Exodus. And it's the story of God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. And when we talk about baptism and we talk about communion, we're talking about how God delivers us with blood and he delivers us with water. And it's a look back at that and it's a reminding of ourselves. And it's weird to say the word blood. It's, there's something graphic, of course, there's something graphic about it, it's blood. But it's something more graphic about it in these last couple of decades than there was when I was a kid. It was very often talked about in church. You talk about the blood of Jesus. You talk about these other things. And now it's, it feels like you have to put some context to it again. But in the first 12 chapters of Exodus, it's the story of a man with his 12 sons and their 12 families going into Egypt. And it's God blessing those families. And those families continue to grow. They continue to multiply. And they were well-received when they first went in. It was actually God using someone in that family as a deliverer to actually solve humongous famine problems in, in Egypt. And then that's all forgotten. A new ruler comes into place. And the, well, the well-meaning towards this family was forgotten. And by the time this, this happens, this family is humongous. They're huge. They're multiplying. They've got their own massive neighborhood, land of Goshen, I think it was called, within the area of Egypt. And all well things are forgotten about them. And they're put to work as slaves. So they came in as immigrants into Egypt during a hard time. Eventually, they're enslaved. And they're crying out for God to deliver them. And they know that there's promises upon their family and what is becoming a nation. This family that is growing so big, it's going to, be, going to become a nation eventually. That's what God's promises were. But they're enslaved. And they're crying out to God. And one day, Moses, if you know anything about Moses, that's where Exodus begins, is with the birth of Moses. He becomes a spokesperson for God. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, to the king of Egypt, 
He says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no repeatedly. He says no, no, no. And then things begin to happen. Punishments begin to happen upon Egypt. Every time they say no to God, okay, we free us? No. Okay, uh, the water is going to turn to blood. I wish you would have said yes. <laughs> okay. And we're going to say no to that one. My magicians can do that too. Okay, fine. Okay, let's. Okay, there's going to be. There's going to be boils. There's going to be frogs. There's going to be pestilence. The cattle are going to die. Uh, there's going to be hail that kills people. It just, gets, it just escalates, escalates, escalates. And finally, Pharaoh's like, okay, you can go. And then he changes his mind and says, no, you can't. And there's one chance left to say yes, and he doesn't take it. This is over 12 chapters. And when Pharaoh says no the final time, Moses says, this is going to reach into your family. It's going to reach into anyone's family in Egypt. And anyone aligned with you that, uh, that doesn't align themselves with God is going to lose their firstborn son. And it becomes pretty intense at that point. This nation that was enslaved, it was going to take the judgment of God upon that area to bring them freedom. It's weird to say this, but judgment was about to bring freedom. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a mind bender because you have the God that loves, this is the God that loves Israel, being held hostage by another country. And God says, I want them free. I asked you, now I'm telling you, they're going to be free. They called out to me and I'm saying yes to them. Judgment will bring freedom. It took a while for me to wrap my head around that. There's a part of us that says no to God. In Egypt, it was a pharaoh setting his will against God. In myself, apart from Christ, I am a slave to sin. I am a slave to part of me. And, and Paul says that in the book of Romans. I, the things I want to do, I can't. The things I don't want to do, I do. Thank God for Christ. So he says you're going to lose your firstborn son. The only way to protect yourself from this judgment, and anyone can protect themselves from this judgment, is to, on the night we're going to call it the Passover, this angel of death, this judgment is going to roll over the land. And the only way to avoid it is to slaughter a lamb, paint their blood over your doorpost. And when this, this angel of death comes by, they'll see that, and they'll pass, literally pass over you. Ah, oh, that's where they get the Passover. Yes, the story of the Passover is because the angel actually literally passed over them. Because they saw blood on the doorpost. And that, it's funny, it's funny, well, funny is not the right word, but a firstborn had to be lost for this judgment to happen. And it was either your own firstborn, or it was the image painted by this blood, which was Jesus as a firstborn, as, as the only begotten Son of God. This pointed to, this prophesied the work of Jesus. When we talk about the cross, we're talking about a sacrifice that Jesus made where he paid the price for us. He shed his blood so that it was paid for us. Okay. What am I talking about? I'm talking about communion right now. Why we celebrate communion. A firstborn had to be lost, sacrificed for this to happen. And Jesus did this willingly for us. 
So the judgment passes over Egypt. The Israelites who painted their, their doorposts with the blood. And inside, while, while this night is happening, while death is, is, is coming through the land, they're inside and they're eating unleavened bread. They're eating bread. They're, they're eating with their shoes on, the staff in their hand. It's, there's a story of them. I'm ready to go. I am leaving. As soon as this night is over, we're going to take everything and we're walking out. And no one's going to be around to stop us. Because judgment happened and we're going to be free. And they walked out. They walked out. There is something that we tend to forget when we, when we think of blood. We think of it as something fairly savage, fairly graphic, fairly... Uh, well, it's just graphic. But there's something so necessary about it. If you read John chapter 6, verse 28 to 35, it's a story of some people that came around to follow Christ after he had fed 5,000 people with a, a little boy's lunch. He, he takes the, the lunch of this little child, he, he blesses it, he breaks it, he hands it out to his disciples, they hand it out and they feed 5,000 people. Later on, these people that experience this, they actually come back around to Jesus, and at this point, it, it's kind of painted as... Uh, People that are kind of, they're kind of going on tour. They're sort of going to all the concerts that happen over the summer. It's like, oh, I was at Jesus' last thing, the Foodapalooza, where he fed 5,000 people. <laughs> what's, another, what's another concert that people go to over the summer? I, I don't know. Huh? Coachella. Well, we've been to Foodapalooza. We're on our way to Coachella. And here's Jesus. He's doing something else right now. What's he doing? John... What did I just say? John 6, 28. I'm just going to read it for you here. And they said to him, this is the people, the Coachella people. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God, Jesus? Jesus answered him, this is the work of God, that you may believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Put on a show, Jesus. I'm on my way to Coachella, and the lights and the, the sound is pretty decent. What are you doing here? What are you going to do for me now? What work do you perform? Our fathers, these are Jews, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. We gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always, always. I have an unending source of bread. This is sounding pretty good right now. Food prices are up. Shelves are a little bare. I would love unending food. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm not sure, Jesus, if you're going for some kind of symbology here. I don't know if you just sold me on something to get me to buy a ticket and show up for your performance right now. But this does not sound right. And Jesus becomes more and more blunt. He gets a bit more intense. He says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This becomes a hard teaching 
for the people to hear. And this becomes something very graphic. And it's something where I think they're beginning to wonder, Jesus thinks there's something wrong with me. He thinks that something is so profoundly wrong with my life that he has to literally, literally, figure. I don't know what he's going at here, but it sounds pretty savage what he's talking about. It sounds pretty intense. Melissa and I are taking a course in counseling. We're taking a year to learn how to counsel people. One of the things I learned this last week was a theory. It's a funny name. It's called Fritz Perl's Paradoxical Theory of Change. It sounds like, I don't know, a snake oil salesman from like the 1800s. <laughs> Fritz Perl's Paradoxical Theory of Change. <laughs> Come and get it. And it says... People change only when they are able to accept themselves exactly where they are at right now. Jesus knew where these people were at more than they knew where they were at. He's like, you need a savior. You need someone to save you. And they're like, I need someone to entertain me. They're like, I am here to save you. You are dying in your sin. You need a savior. And this is communion. This is communion. Every time we take communion, we are reminding ourselves of our deep, deep need. And it's taking us away from those moments of like, Jesus, do a little dance for me. Do a little performance. Do a little, you know, make me feel, give me a buzz. It takes it all away. And it goes, I have such deep, profound needs. I need a savior. And I remind myself every time I partake of the cup that represents Jesus' blood and the bread that represents his broken body, it reminds me again of my deep, profound need. It reminds me again that I needed someone to deliver me out of slavery, that death was passing over me, and I took refuge in what Jesus did. And death should have taken me in the streets, and it didn't, because I hid under the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay? That's what it means. John 12, 23 to 36. To have the life of Christ, we need the death of Christ. It says in John 12, 23 to 26, it says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Wherever Jesus is, is where we need to be. That's it. To have the life of Christ, we need the death of Christ. There's a big risk. It talks about, and I'm going to read this passage later, but in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34, that's the passage that I always read every time we do communion as a church. And there's conversations in there around eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ in an unworthy manner. 
And I, it's enough to make me concerned. And deep down, as I, as I look at this, and I've, I've looked at what other people say about this, and I've, I've prayed about it, the bottom line is, is, are you prepared to say yes to the rule of Christ in your life? Are you prepared to say that I'm harboring some things that oppose the rule of Christ in my life. And I'm not saying to get deep and introspective and look for things that may not be there, but to trust the Holy Spirit to show you things. You know, we can wreck ourselves by looking, staring at our navel, at our belly button all day long until I see something horrible. And it takes a very short amount of time to get there and to just keep on spiraling downward. But to trust the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Is there anything that I need to ask forgiveness for right now? Is there anybody that I need to forgive? Is there anyone that I need to ask forgive? Me. Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24 is a good example of this. And this is an example of when people brought their sacrifices. And it says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gifts. Is there anything that you know that you are blatantly saying no to Jesus about. And you, you can't get past it. Or you know you need to do something about it. You need to ask forgiveness or forgive, repent, these types of things. Right. Can we just say that to ourselves? Show me, Holy Spirit, what those things could possibly be. If nothing comes up, don't go digging. Okay? Just be ready. If you're going to be around people long enough, don't worry. You'll, you'll discover it. I, and this is the beauty of being in community. Sooner or later, something funky is going to come to the surface. You're going to encounter it in someone else. Someone else is going to encounter your funk. And someone's going to, you know, you're going to show your funk to somebody else. We all shared our funk. And we, and we forgave it. And we kept on going. There's, there's a certain pain and a certain challenge that comes from being in a community. Um, We'll get into it when we talk about baptism, but yeah, that's, that's what I want to say about communion so far, and there's, there's a lot to it. We're going to do, do communion at the end of my message here. Yeah, we got time. We're going to do communion at the end of my message. I just ask you just to, uh, yeah, just hold on to your elements for that. The next thing I want to talk about is baptism. After the judgment brought freedom for Israel, it wasn't over. They were free to leave. Uh, but Pharaoh was also free to chase. And so after Israel leaves Egypt, well, after, before they leave Egypt, they're actually at the exit, just about to leave. They're at the Red Sea. To Pharaoh, it looks like Israel is wandering around. And by that point, they're realizing, we just let our entire free workforce leave. What have we done? I've grieved all the losses, and now I'm feeling the pain of my slaves being gone. We need to take them back. And so Pharaoh takes off with his entire army to chase down Israel. Israel is standing at the Red Sea. And it's a bit concerning it's a bit concerning because they're slaves. They're not trained fighters. They're strong, but they have no skill. And the might of Egypt is, is raging down the road towards them. 
they needed to be cut off from their old life. And God says to Moses, why are you standing here? Moses goes to God, what are you going to do? God goes to Moses, why are you standing here? Stretch out your staff. And as he does that, all of a sudden, this is the classic story of the ocean, the, the sea parting so that Israel could leave Egypt. A brilliant biblical study to do right now is to find a cartoon called The Prince of Egypt. Uh, it hits me hard when I watch it. I highly recommend it. Israel goes through the water of the, of the Red Sea. There's walls of water on either side. They go through the water. They get to the other side. And as soon as they get to the other side, there's such an emotion and intensity on the, on the Pharaoh and on his army that they are like, they did it, and they're slaves. We can do it. We've got army, we've got, we got chariots, we've got weapons. Let's just go. We know it's safe because they just went. The judgment of Egypt comes raging through this sea. And as they're all in it, all of a sudden, the hand of God turns against Egypt. And all of a sudden, wheels are getting mired in the ground. All of a sudden, they're stuck. And they're, they're, they're stuck in place. All of a sudden, the waters begin to, to, to come back in on the army. These waters smash down onto the judgment that was about to land on Israel. And Israel is saved. Songs are written about it. Stories are written about it. This is, it, nothing happens after this unless this happens. So this had to happen, and this is what happened. He delivered them through water. So they're forgiven through blood. They're saved through water. It's a sign of their salvation. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are reckoned dead to sin. We are reckoned as dead to the law. We are reckoned as cut off from our old life. This is what baptism means. Baptism is a display of a decision to follow Jesus. And by doing this, we show that we are following him, that he has given us a new life, and that we identify ourselves as followers of Christ. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. This is Jesus' commission to the disciples. He says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. When we do baptism, we go all the way under. You'll see it. If you've been here, you've seen it here. We're going to do it again September 18th at 3.30 in the afternoon. We're going to go down to the Bow River. We're going to baptize in the river. We have a number have already asked us to be a part of that. We're like, yes, love it. Do you know Jesus? Yes. You've asked him in your heart? Yes. You are a candidate for baptism. Awesome. Good. If you've seen it here, you've seen a hot tub that we start warming up on Friday. And one by one, we ask people, you know, have you, have you made Jesus the Lord in life? Uh, your Lord and Savior? Yes. 
Why do you want to get saved? They'll give a short moment about why they made this decision to follow Jesus and what he did. And we baptize them. They go all the way back. They come all the way back up. And by this, it's a symbol of their death and their burial and their resurrection, coming back out again, appropriating and receiving the life of Jesus. It is the power of God displayed through a symbol. This is what we do. In Acts 2, verse 37 to 39, Peter has just preached to a number of people. He's told them, this is who Jesus is. This is what you did to him. You crucified him. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to him, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone with whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is the proper response to receiving Jesus into your life and to putting all your trust in him. It is to be baptized. Tim, do I need to be baptized to get saved? No. No, you don't. The thief who hung on the cross next to Jesus, called out to him. He acknowledged Christ as a king and as the only one that could save him. He put all his faith in him. There was no time to baptize. He was saved. We are saved by faith in the work of Christ, not by our own works. But it is a display of our faith in Christ. And he calls everyone who can to do it, to get baptized. It is a command. It is a call. It's something that we are asked to do to other people to signify they've decided to become a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Okay? So ask yourself, am I baptized? And do I need to become baptized? Have I decided to follow Jesus with my whole heart? If you say yes, I'm inviting you to become baptized. Okay. Private faith is a fragile faith. If we say, I don't need the church, I don't need other believers, I've got my relationship with Jesus. The church, it's, it's full of people with funk. I, I don't want to be around them. <laughs> I don't want them to see mine, and I don't want to see theirs. It hurts. I grew up in a church. I, I have been hurt by church. Uh, but I... It has made my faith in Christ stronger so that I can be here and to love other people through their funk and to experience the love of God as I am funky. It is so important. I grow in the grace of God because I'm around people. And I think I am a cause for grace in other people's lives. A bit, you know, not because I want to, but just because I am. You know? And a faith that demands that you don't be around people is not a very strong faith. It is more like smoke. It is seen, but you can't, you can't touch it. You can't feel it. It's just smoke. Do you have faith if you can't be around people? God can bring you around people, and he can be your deliverer. He can be your healer. And he can do more than you would ever expect if you will be in the community of Christ. And if you will let your faith become public, he will do great things through that you will actually have an impact in the lives of other people. When we baptize people, 
when we go down to the river, we have people walk by that wonder what we're doing. And there's people in the crowd that will turn to them and go, we're baptizing people. Why? Because they're, follow, they're, they're following Jesus. They've decided to follow him with all their heart. And they're like, really? What is that about? And we'll tell them. This is why we get baptized. The final passage is John 19 and 34. Jesus has been hanging on the cross for hours at this point. End of the gospel. Gospel John chapter 19. He's been hanging on the cross. The day is coming to an end. It's Passover. And they said, we've got to hurry up. And because ha- it's a long, languishing death on a cross. It's not a, it's suffering for hours and suffocation and blood loss. They went to the, the, the thieves, the two lawbreakers on either side of Jesus on the cross they were hanging. They broke their legs. As soon as they break someone's legs hanging on a cross, they can't pull themselves up and they can't get their breath. And they hang back down and they can't expose their diagram, uh, diaphragm enough to pull in air and they suffocate. So you break the leg, they hang from the, le- from the hands, and they suffocate to death. They come to Jesus. By that time, Jesus had already given up his spirit. He gave it up. And he was already dead. And so they didn't break his legs because that would actually fulfill a prophecy. None of his bones were broken. But what they did do is one of the soldiers, to ensure it, takes a spear Spears Jesus in the side. The scripture says, all at once there came out blood and water. You saw a picture of the blood that covers and forgives, and you see a picture of the water that delivers. Blood and water were there at the death of Christ, and they are for us. And he was baptized. We need to be baptized. His blood was shed for us. We need that blood to have that life in us. And that water that delivered and closed off our old life, we symbolize that when we're baptized. So I'm asking you today, would you receive the water and the blood of Jesus into your life to heal you and to free you, to show that you are someone new, that you live your life not on your own, but because Jesus lives in me and I'm crucified with him. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay. So that's all I'm going to share right now. And what I'm going to do, you each have one of these. And there are three options I would like for you to choose from in what you do with this. First of all, If you don't know Jesus, you are welcome to be here. You are loved, and this is for you, okay? If you do not know Jesus, this is your opportunity to ask him into your heart, to trust that what, this is a symbol, it's not blood, it's wine, and it's a little cracker. And if you're going to take it, you should probably open it now. But, but, But before you do, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, By opening this, 
would you make this a decision that you will trust in the work of Jesus? You will say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me for my sin. And thank you for giving me a brand new life. If you don't want to say that right now, no problem. No problem. I would ask you to take this with you as a symbol, and I would like you to just ask God to show you. Ask God to talk to you this week. Take this with you. And if God talks to you this week, when he does, take this and say, I will follow and trust Jesus right now. So you don't have to take it, but if you want to, you can. The second person are those that are wrestling with forgiving someone else, know that they need to, or know that they need to ask for forgiveness of someone else. And it says, like I read in Matthew 5, if you, if you have a problem with someone, leave your, leave your gift at the altar and go and take care of it. So if you need to rec- be reconciled with someone, take a moment, don't open it now, and ask God to help you to go to them and ask for forgiveness. Or to ask you right now, Lord, help me forgive this person. I put them in your hands. I release them from all punishment and judgment. I say, Father, that you are enough for the damage that they did to my life. Lord, heal me. I forgive them and I release them. And then take it. And the third person are those of us that want to remember the gospel right now. So we're going to do that right now. So you're free to hold on to it or you're free to take it with us right now. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father God, right now, we remember what you did for us, the body that you broke. Thank you for your body broken for us. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We do that right now. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that wipes away our sin, that saves us from judgment, that heals us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we proclaim your death for us, our deep need for you. We thank that you broke off our old life and we receive yours right now. We thank you to give us your new life for this next week and for our future. Thank you that we have everything we need in Christ. We receive it right now. We walk into this next week into work, into families, into churches, into conflicts, into things that bring us fear. We walk into it with love and the life of Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to continue with worship right now. When you're finished, you can stand up. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.